and welcome to episode 32 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast. I'm Chris, and with me, as always, is Shane. How are you this afternoon, Shane? I'm good. How are you, sir? I'm doing very well. So we talked a little bit in episode 31 about our preparations for observing in the Grasslands National Park, which is uh, pretty much about the darkest place in Canada to do astronomy. Um, And in this one, I think uh, you want to talk a little bit about like packing for camping and what eyepieces filters, telescopes, binoculars, atlases, et cetera, et cetera, that, uh, that we may choose to bring along with us. So with that, I will, uh, you know, kind of let you lead this one. Yeah, sure. So I think a little while ago we talked about preparing to observe and, um, you know, I, I believe you categorized it in three different ways, you know, sort of backyard observing, medium, and then long distance. You mm-hmm. know, medium distance would be you're just going out like what we did last night for uh, cometary observing um, where you're out for an hour or, you know, maybe two or three hours, but you end the night back in your bed because you're not that far from home. Uh, However, when you and I do some real dark sky observing, we're traveling two and a half to three and a half hours away. And we, you know, usually go for a few days. We bring all of our gear and where we like to go it's very dark because there's not a lot of people or amenities there. Hotels, yeah. restaurants, things like that bring in uh, light and you're probably not going to go to those locations for really good astronomy. Yeah. So where we go, we really have to bring everything that, we'll, that we will need. And, you know, some planning in advance is usually helpful because you don't want to bring everything you own from like all of your astronomy gear because you probably won't use you know, all of it while you're there. Um, so I thought we could talk just a little bit about what our plans are while we're there and, you know, what we might bring or what we usually bring on these types of trips. You know what, um, you know what the most important thing to take is on, on just about any trip where you're really uncertain or conditions might be sketchy or somewhat remote. You know what one of the most important things to bring is? Binoculars? No, no. Toilet paper. <laughs> So, so yes, yes, you're right. <laughs> so you laugh and people might think that's funny, like, you know, in, in light of the, the recent uh, toilet paper hoarding, and I guess depending on what, what, what side of, of the paper you come down on, uh, you know, whether, whether you're a hoarder or, or one seeking out paper, we treaded a pretty fine line on that one. So we, we were not well stocked and, uh, and sort of just, just screwed it through. But, um, you know, I, when I was studying uh, in university, I would go and I did uh, some archaeological expeditions and, uh, I, I had done a fair bit of traveling and kind of some pretty rough stuff, um, as far as accommodations and that went. And I was pretty certain one of the places we were going once would, would not have toilet paper. And so I had put all this toilet paper in my, um, in my huge duffel bag. And I remember, um, uh, the girlfriend I had traveling with me, she was like laughing at me and she thought I was being ridiculous. And then when we got to the place, um, you know, you're a pretty big hero when you're the person that has the toilet paper and there's like no toilet paper to be found. Right. You know, so <laughs> anyhow, but yeah, I mean, and it can come in handy, you know, for like a whole variety uh, of things when, when you're in the wilderness. So yeah, I always try to make sure that I, that I have a little bit on hand, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, the other thing for me that might not always be readily apparent is uh, the food that I pack is really important to me. Mm. Um, You're not getting the best of sleeps when you're out camping on an astronomy trip because you're staying up super late. uh, And then you're probably not sleeping in too far into the morning because the sun comes up and heats up your tent and it's just not very pleasant. Yeah. So because of all of the discomfort that you experience during one of these trips, having some nice meals to look forward to really helps my energy and helps my mood an awful lot too. So I have noticed this. I just want to say that I have noticed that you bring some pretty uh, fine food with you. I mean, like between you and Mike, like you guys really bring it when it comes to food. Like, like sometimes I'm there just eating like freeze dried, whatever, because you know, I'll bring some food. I have some food restrictions, so it's not as easy for me anyway. But, uh, but you know, I've looked over and seen you cooking like a salmon on your Coleman grill. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do enjoy you know stuffed salmon wheels occasionally and things like that. <laughs> but you know, it, it's the other thing too. Like, there's something about going out into 
you know, somewhat of the wilderness, you know, going into nature. Yeah. Um, and, and it's probably when you take away some of your luxuries that you're used to in life, you know, air conditioning, a comfortable couch, a roof, um, I, a roof. Yeah. I think that the other, th- some other things in life become just more enjoyable. Your senses yeah. are either heightened or I'm not sure what it is, but you know, uh, um, you know, having some salmon, which, you know, I enjoy all of the time just seems to taste better when I'm cooking it on my Coleman grill in the grasslands national parks. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I, you know, while I, I plan a lot about the astronomical side of things, uh, I plan an awful lot for my comfort as well, you know, so, um, I bring an awful lot of clothing, um, because you never know how cold it's going to get, uh, at some of these remote locations. And part of that is the weather stations around the country. You know, they don't have a lot of sensors and things like that in these remote areas. So sometimes the, like, it's, it's just hard to predict or forecast the weather that will actually happen there and what forecasts exist. Um, you kind of have to take them with a grain of salt because the accuracy isn't what you're used to at home. So while yeah. it may say, and you and I have experienced this many times. In well, fact, well, yeah, I feel October? like I feel like <laughs> there, there may be some daggers coming from you towards me in this one. <laughs> not at all, not at all. There's no ill will on my part, but uh, I think it was last October, or was it the year before? It was I the think. year before, yeah. And yeah, yeah, it looked so like it was so nice. It was almost 20 degrees, or maybe it was even 20 degrees. And I mean, gee, like like we definitely have gone down to grasslands when it hasn't been as nice as it was that day. And the forecast low was sort of negative one or two or three, maybe like it wasn't really going to be super cold. And you and I have done minus four, minus six, even, you know, which is kind of like my limit is, is sort of minus five, minus six. And I thought, well, that night, our plan was to uh, to not really observe much in the evening because the moon was up or whatever. We wanted to observe like the winter sky in October and uh, you got to wait until after midnight or so. And so, you know, the method to, to our madness there was that we would go, we would sleep while it was still warm, get up, make some coffee or whatever at like one or two o'clock in the morning and get in the car and warm up really good and then do, you know, three or four hours of observing or whatever have some breakfast and roll out and go home. Like that seemed like a pretty good plan. And then, gee, it was like, what was it like minus five by the time the sun went down? I mean, it was just brutal. Oh, that was awful. Yeah. Um, It was probably the second, around the second week of October, I think. And like you said, the forecast looked really nice for that time of the year, 20 degrees Celsius. I think the overnight low was, yeah, right around, you know, zero or a couple degrees below. Nothing we can't handle, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And we were even thinking that if it, if it went twice as cold, like, I think, like you said, it was minus two or minus three. And we thought, well, even if it goes to minus five or minus six, even minus seven, we'd be, we'd be okay because we're only going to sleep half the night and, you know, we'd, we'd be out and observing during the coldest part of the night anyway, so we wouldn't be trying to sleep then. So it wasn't going to be a problem. Yeah, yeah. And then during twilight, so the, the sun had set and you, you have normal twilight for about 30 minutes after that, I think the temperature dropped uh, at least to like, home. it was well below zero at that point. And oh, every, yeah. About every 10 or 15 minutes, we were losing another degree because I had that little Bluetooth temperature sensor uh, that we left outside. And anyway, the point of that is you can't really trust some of these remote location forecasts. So come prepared, you know, bring warm clothing, bring warm sleeping bags. Uh, The cold is what will kill you. And it's much easier to, to, you know, take off a shirt or a jacket um, or to, you know, throw your sleeping bag to the side if you're too warm. Um, I've been very cold multiple times in a tent and I never Mm -hmm. want to do that again. So I always am ready for that. Uh, uh, And then also like some people look at me a little crazy. I think when we start observing um, in grasslands early in the night and I've got a toque gloves and a jacket on and it's a summer day in July. Yeah. (laughs) You know, we, we've said it before. You got to dress for 20 degrees colder than what it is Celsius, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So oftentimes it'll get in that part of the country, it'll go down to 10 to zero degrees. It's quite common. Yeah. Uh, So, you know, I'm dressing for minus 10 to minus 20 Celsius. Yeah. Um, And that keeps me comfortable most of the night. But even with that, you know, after a few hours and it's two in the morning, 
I'm starting to feel the cold a little bit, even at that. And yeah, because uh, we're not moving or anything. Yeah, we're not moving around or anything. But but you know that night, the, and you and I, we decided to you know cut our losses and head home before it got too late and too cold. And that night went to minus twenty with the wind chill down there. So I felt um, like we made the right decision that night. I, I think it could have been an interesting experiment. I'm sure we would have survived. But uh, I don't know how much observing we would have done that night. I think probably if we had gone to bed, um, we might have slept for a couple hours and then just woken up so cold. And then, you know, by that point, it's the middle of the night. We would have had a, you know, a rough three or four hour wait uh, till morning light to to get out of there. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. So one of the things you you introduced me to, this this is really uh, a miraculous device for camping. And so um, you were having some trouble getting some, you were talking about like not getting as good a sleep camping and you went and got this air mattress. Do you want to just talk about this? Cause this is, this really is a big game changer. Now I was reluctant because it is not inexpensive. It's going to cost you a, a stay at a four star hotel for one night to buy one of these things. But uh holy moly, like this absolutely was a game changer for me. So what, what did you end up getting for an air mattress? Yeah, so I'm a side sleeper. And when we would go out to the grasslands, I would, and this is no exaggeration, I would wake up every 15 to 30 minutes um, and I'd have to roll over because my shoulder and my hip were just killing me. Mm-hmm. So I would do this all night. And when I say all night, that's not very long because we're observing till two or three in the morning and you're really only having three or four, maybe five hours of sleep. So the sleep I was trying to get was so disruptive that I was just tired and miserable the next day. And after a couple of years of doing this, it really was to the point of, I either need to solve this problem or I'm not coming to grasslands anymore to observe because it just wasn't enjoyable. And that's saying a lot because I love those trips. I love, you know, the socialization that we do and I love the observing. So I did a whole bunch of research. And now can I just sort of chime in with where I was in this? So, so you, you were sleeping on a pretty good, like uh, camping mat and I was using like the Coleman inflatable, um, you know, air mattress type deal that, that many people might be familiar with. And I was fine on the comfort side, but those things are like a heat sink. And so they just kind of pull the heat out of you. So while I was comfortable physically, I was temperature wise uh, getting cold. Like you, you were saying, you know, we've gone down into, uh, you know, single digits or sometimes uh, negative digits, even in the summer where we go in, in this desert like environment. And then, uh, you know, I was freezing. So you were waking up, you know, uh, sort of sore and, and crabby. And I was waking up, you know, half frozen to death and crabby. So we were quite the pair in the morning when, when Mike would roll out of his trailer and look at us. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, like a, a normal air mattress, you, you kind of end up with convection currents in there. Your, heat, your body is heating that top little bit of the air in the air mm. mattress. The ground is cooling the air in there and it just kind of circulates And I don't think your body really overcomes the cold ground throughout the night. No. And especially when it does get cold out and and you feel it. Yeah. Um, However, we were able to solve this. Um, I did a bunch of research online and I came across um, the the solution. At least that's what everybody said online. Various threads was uh, if you buy this particular air mattress, all your problems go away. So and it just, you know, so, so many times people say that, and I was really happy that you dropped the coin first. In, in the experiment. <laughs> well, like I said, I was legitimately at the point where I was not going to come to grasslands anymore. Um, I did I not was, want to, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, and I had pretty much stopped going when I knew it was going to be cold, like below zero mm-hmm. cold, because I knew that I would just, you know, uh, be so cold that, uh, you know, it, it just would drain the energy out of me and, and uh, I just wouldn't enjoy myself for another day or so. Yeah. So what we ended up buying uh, is called an XPED, so E-X-P-E-D uh, mattress. Uh, and I think we got the Mega Duo or something like that or Duo Mega. I'm not sure what the heck the, the version it's is. but a pinky red. You can't miss it. Yeah. So, so to, to describe this thing, 
Um, it's huge. First of all, it's very long and wide. So, you know, I'm a six foot three person and it fits me quite well, uh, which was important to me. It self inflates, although you, you need to have put a, to top it up a little bit yeah, with the hand pump. And that's, that's sort of the neat thing, like coming from like the full on air, like I never even went to a regular decent camping mat first. I went right from the, you know, 1999, uh, Coleman special, um, which really I actually found pretty comfortable. Like I said, and if, if I was just camping in a, in a warmer environment, I think I probably would have been fine to stick with that. I like how it kept me up a little bit higher off the ground than this, but, uh, yeah, but boy, it would be, it would be cold. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah. So the X-pad self-inflates, but you, you, you have to top it up a little bit with this hand pump that they provide, but it's quite nice to actually do that. It's almost like the sleep by number mattresses. You know, you can kind of get it as firm or as soft as you like it. Mm-hmm. Um, but what sets this thing apart from all of the other air mattresses out there is it has some kind of a foam inside of it. It's not just an empty air chamber. Yeah. So this foam, uh, provides the proper support and cushioning for your body. So you don't get those pains like I was getting if you're a side sleeper, but on top of that, it has the highest R value. So uh, in insulation, you know, measurements, uh, highest R value of any camping air mattress, I think in existence. Now, you know, I guess I should never state in all absolutes cause I'm sure there's something out there that's better, but it's fantastic for comfort. Yeah, it's and supposed it to be good to, to minus 40 or something. And I can certainly believe it. Yeah, yeah. I love it. It's been, a, like you said, it's been a game changer. Oh, if yeah. I didn't have it, I wouldn't come with you anymore to Grasslands and yeah. uh, hang out with you and Mike and uh, Rick when he comes out. So uh, I love it. Um, if it ever you know, got wrecked, I'd replace it instantly. Yeah. It's about $350 Canadian. So like you said, it's not, uh, it's not inexpensive, but you know, when I look at what it's done to give me better sleep so that I can enjoy the astronomy, uh, you know, if I almost view it as an astronomy accessory, yes. I think that's one of the best I've ever bought. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know for sure. And, uh, you know, kind of the, the straw that, that, you know, deflated my, my, my support system was a cactus. I camped on a cactus one night and, uh, woke up the next day and lying on, not only on the ground, but lying on a cactus, um, which wasn't very pleasant. And then, uh, you know, I really hemmed and hawed for a number of months after that, that was like our last camping trip that year. And, and finally decided to bite the bullet and get this. And I was so reluctant to spend, you know, coming from a sub $20, um, you know, inflatable mattress to something that costs, like I said, uh, more than just about any hotel I think that I've ever stayed in my life would cost for one night um, to go to something like that um, was a pretty big step for me, uh, for my, for my camping considering, you know, I'm not really that much of a camper, but I could not get over how com- comfortable it was. So, so it did two things that were big game changers for doing astronomy for me when we go to dark sites. The first thing was I, I was almost never cold again. Uh, never cold, at, and I can say this unequivocally, and I was never as cold again. There might be nights where I've been cool, but I, was, I, was, I don't think I've actually been really cold since I got that. And that really, really has been a huge improvement for me. And the other is that although I found like, just a regular old air mattress. Like for me, I'm not like the princess and the pea on the other end of the microphone here. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, I really always found the Coleman's okay for comfort, but it is so comfortable that I found on average, I'm sleeping between one and two extra hours a night. And when I go to bed, I fall asleep faster. It's a better sleep. And, uh, and again, like I'm probably netting, uh, just about two more hours. So, for me anyway, I find like I can get by for like, especially a day uh, on four or five hours sleep. That's no problem. Even two days is, is fine. And we're out in the wilderness like that. If I'm home, I can get by forever on five hours sleep, but uh, out in the wilderness, like two, five hours sleep, I'm pretty bagged by the end of it. Um, but this was taking me to sometimes getting up to seven hours of sleep a night, which for me is that's like, a, like enough sleep. Like I only need seven hours of sleep a night. And I'm, you know, almost never sleeping more than that anyway. So, uh, 
you know, uh, I'm now getting full night's sleep and, you know, my wife would be really surprised because I come rolling home. She usually doesn't join me for the, for these type of trips. And, uh, you know, she was really surprised. Like I come home, like, yeah, great. Like, what do you want to do? Like, she's like, what do you mean? Usually you go to bed right as soon as you get home. Like, no, I'm good. Like I got good sleep last night. Um, you know, she would say, oh, well, it must have been cloudy. No, no. Stayed up until two o'clock or whatever. Slept until quarter to nine, got up, had breakfast and, you know, came home, just felt, feel great, you know, and it's, it's a huge difference, Shane, I think anyway. Yeah, totally agree. Uh, great point about sleeping longer because I've noticed the same thing. Uh, but let's switch gears or else we're going to get some job offers from Xpad and, you know, I like, <laughs> I like my current job. <laughs> what Go telescope are you bringing down there, Chris? Yeah, so I'm going to bring my TAC 100. Um, you know, I'm going to do quite a few nights. So that's, that's what's coming along with me. Uh, this time when I, I do some planetary observing and uh, like I was saying in the last podcast, I'm going to uh, be working on my feature constellation. So I'm going to be going through uh, a variety of like double stars. So I need some really sharp optics and, uh, and, and you know, as well, take, take a look at some star clusters and nebulous, take a small pair of binoculars as always. But uh, how about yourself? What are you going to take down for a telescope? I will be taking down my Teleview Genesis SDF and some binoculars. Yeah, Good that's stuff. it. Um, I'm really, really tempted to take my new Takahashi just to see it perform under a dark sky. But you know, I've done this in the past where I bring, you know, too many, too much gear mm -hmm. and either I don't use some of the gear I bring or I'm, I'm too busy going back and forth between the gear that I'm just kind of wasting time with that meddling rather than observing. Yeah. Uh, so one telescope, one pair of binoculars, that's my new rule. And you know, that way I, I maximize my observing time and I really don't regret that anytime I do it. So. Yeah. I'll yeah. also bring, be bringing down my uh, sketch pad and paper. So I'm kind of, I was getting my stuff a little bit organized uh, last night, although I'm not going for a few days. Like I said, my, my plans get shifted ahead in time, unfortunately, because of, the COVID-19 stuff, they have to let, um, you know, I guess places sit for, for so long. So, you know, I think you're going to, you might even get a night in observing before I do. Um, so yeah, and my nebula filters I'll probably take maybe four eyepieces with me, the, the tack, um, and, uh, mount tripod. Yeah. Maybe some books, my laptop, do a little writing while I'm down there. Nice. Nice. Yeah. I'll take a few eyepieces too. Um, you know, I, I often don't remove like the wide field two inch eyepieces all that much. Uh, they kind of live in the diagonal most of the weekend, but I'll take some, um, eyepieces that provide a little more magnification because the planets, like you mentioned, will be well positioned. Yeah. Um, so I'll probably look at those a little bit if the seeing is, is nice. Um, also hoping for some good views of the comet. Um, I like to bring, uh, a couple nebula filters like a UHC ultra high contrast and usually a, an O3 or oxygen three filter as well. Uh, so those really can help with some of the nebula uh, that are, you know, there's so many of them in the sky and they're fun to kind of play with because they can bring out a little more detail. So definitely bring those. Um, I'm not a sketcher, but I do bring a little writing pad so that I can capture my observing notes. Yeah. And I think I'll, you know, I always bring my, uh, my little Sony Alpha camera um, just for some daytime photography. Uh, and I'll see, I may do a little easy astrophotography as we talked about a couple yeah. episodes ago. Um, <laughs> yeah. But this time, instead of wide field, if I do any astrophotography, uh, I'll do a little bit more focused, uh, or focus is a bad word to say when talking about astrophotography, because I don't mm. mean it in a camera focused sense, but um uh, some longer focal length lenses to actually look at individual objects or photograph individual objects rather than say the entire sky or, or a big swath of the Milky way. Yeah. Um, Cause there's, there's some pretty neat things that um, I think would really look good on a, a single frame exposure. Uh, you know, the you should try to nebula. get a, yeah. Hopefully you can get a shot of the comet. Yeah. 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 The comet would be fantastic actually. So yeah, I'll bring that and I'll, I'll probably set that up one night anyway and capture a few photos and uh, play around a little bit with that. Sounds good. Um, you know, one of the things, and I, I think we've touched this before, but uh, 
especially, you know, when we're going out camping. So some nights, like last night, I did not bring my reclining chair. And I'm glad I didn't because, I, you know, just the way I oriented my car when I stopped on, on this, this side road off a side road off a side road kind of thing um, was I was sort of on the wrong side of the, the car in the end uh, somehow. And so I was sort of looking up over my car to look at the comet. So I would have kind of had to take my chair and kind of drag it somewhere else than where I was parked, which typically I don't like to do in the middle of the night when I'm like in the middle of a field. And there was like some sort of weird animal like running around in the bushes and stuff. So, <laughs> you know, but, but on a trip like this, like definitely hundred percent, I'm taking my really good uh, reclining lawn chair with me and, uh, you know, when I first started doing these uh, camping, camping and observing weekends, which we used to call them in Nova Scotia or a cow, <laughs> we, uh, you know, I would take like just the really cheap Canadian tire uh, camping chair, but those are really not great for doing astronomy from um, because they almost like hunt you forward. They're really not comfortable to sit in for more than uh you know, for me anyway, a very short period of time, like less than two hours. And, uh, and they're kind of bulky and they don't really, you know, they just don't really work that, that great. Um, so I got this reclining lawn chair from, I think it's from Eddie Bauer or, or no, it's not Eddie Bauer. It's from, anyway, it doesn't matter. It's from somewhere in the States, but you can find a variety of different reclining lawn chairs. And I think it was, part of me thinks it was like $34 American or something. So it wasn't, it was only maybe two or three times the cost of like a really inexpensive folding lawn chair. And these are just awesome. You know, they fold flat. So I just put them down in my trunk and when we're going somewhere and I just pile everything else on top of them. And then um, when we are at observing, I can adjust it to, to be pretty far reclined. So I can look up way high in the sky um, which is really easy to do when you're lying back in a lawn chair versus trying to like arch your back when you're standing. And then uh, the other thing is when we're just around camp, I can kind of straighten it up and it's, it's actually extremely comfortable to sit in. And even sometimes like if, if we're um, staying in like a lodge or something like that, if we're, if we're observing um, and doing that, like if we go up to like the Cypress Hill star party, Sometimes I've even brought it inside if we're having like a rainy day or, or a couple rainy days because it's uh, usually much more comfortable to sit in than even like uh, like the chairs or whatever they have in, in the hotel rooms. And typically, you know, my wife isn't, isn't bringing such a chair with her so she can have the, the nice cushy chair that is provided by the hotel. But I'm actually much happier to sit in my padded reclining lawn chair, which I can adjust just to the right uh, level and, uh, and really enjoy that. Oh, right on. I, I have a new secret weapon this year that uh, oh. I will deploy. It's a portable hammock. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure if this will be a good thing or not, but uh, I'll give it this a try. This just sounds like a bad idea. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? Well, as you know, I've, I've attempted uh, multiple ways to try to have an afternoon nap. And it's just impossible in a tent in the sun because yeah. it's essentially a greenhouse in there. Yeah. So I'm hoping a, a, a hammock that sways lightly in the wind will be the answer. Time will tell. Boy, have you ever slept in a hammock before? Uh, I've had like some casual afternoon naps in, in some hammocks, you know, yeah. while I'm at a friend's place having a beer. But uh, that's, that's the extent of it. Not really, yeah. not really like long term or anything like that. My, my grandfather, you don't know this. My grandfather used to make hammocks and uh, <laughs> yeah, he did. He was, he was a canvas worker. He was, he could make anything out of canvas. Amazing, uh, amazing guy. And so I used to sleep in a hammock uh, for a long time. Wow. And uh, man, I don't know. It always made me feel so strange. Um, I don't know what it was. He was a, he was a mariner. He was a merchant mariner. And uh I think that it was it was natural for him to sleep in a hammock, and so he'd make all he'd make hammocks, and we all, we always had a hammock up somewhere, um, like pretty good canvas hammock, and uh, yeah, he loved it. I almost would find because where I would set it up in the trees, um, yeah, it almost made me like almost like motion sickness, but not quite. But anyway, yeah, you go to sleep well, but I don't know. I think you just need to dig a hole to sleep in out there. <laughs> yeah, that, that might be, that might be. Um, so you mentioned you're looking at a lot of stuff in Scorpius is your plan? <clears throat> yeah. 
yeah, sorry about that. Um, yeah, looking at Scorpius, that's my feature constellation for, for the summer. Are you going to look as well? Yeah, there's, so there's four objects on this hidden treasures list from Stephen James O'Meara. Uh, what are they here? There is a X79, which is an open cluster. So that's NGC 6242. And what else here? We have the Moth Wing Cluster which is a open cluster, 6281. Never heard of that. 62, is that the one with the dark nebula nearby? Uh, so there, I have a, like a, you know, that DSS image, but it's, it's really small on this crappy printout. So I can't really tell. It does look like there's potentially some dark nebula there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. I, yeah, I never, never heard it called that before, but I'm, I'm familiar with the, uh, with the NGC object. Okay. Then there's the next one here is the Phantom Cluster, another open cluster, and this is uh, NGC 6400. This okay. one's a little fainter. This is uh, an apparent magnitude of 12. So Wow, that is faint for an open cluster. Yeah, that is. That is. And then the last one on this list for Scorpius is uh, the Silver Nugget Cluster, which looks quite amazing, actually. So where, where uh, are you getting all these names? I'm not as big a fan of, of all the common names <laughs> as I think you are. Uh, well, it's just a list that uh, uh, I printed out. So it's the Hidden Treasures list. It's all of the objects okay. in Omira's book. And uh, so they just put all this information associated. Oh, because I think his objects. theme was like, I can see that, like Golden Nugget because it's a treasure and he was going with almost like a pirate theme or something. Could be, could be. So this is uh, NGC 6441. Mm -hmm. uh, this one is, uh, it looks like two globulars. Like it almost looks like the double cluster, um, but smaller. And the magnitude on this is 9.6. So. Wow. That, that's fake. You know what? No, no. Sorry. I got my columns mixed up because I'm on page two. So the, the column header didn't carry over. So for the previous one, the phantom cluster that I said was magnitude 12, it's mm -hmm. actually magnitude 8.8. .8. Um, and the silver nugget cluster <laughs> is 7.2. So that's actually not too bad. At all. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's not bad. Not bad at all. But yeah, looking at things that low down as, as we were talking about earlier with the comet was, uh, was last night. Yeah. It can be, it can be a bit of a challenge for sure. That sounds like an interesting list though. So, uh, yeah. yeah, there's some Sagittarius objects here too that I'd like to look at. Uh, the Box Nebula, uh, 6445. Yeah, that one's tough. Is it? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, magnitude 11.2. So that's yeah. fairly dim. Um, yeah. There's the Dead Man's Chest. Uh, this is an open cluster with some dark nebula for sure. And this is 6520. And a magnitude of yeah, that one should be near. Uh, that one should be near uh, M eight then. Okay. Uh, then we have twenty. Okay. Then sixty five forty four, which is a globular, and this is yep. known as the starfish cluster, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I've seen that one. Yeah, that's um, not bad. There's actually quite a few globulars <laughs> here. The yeah, I think one. those those objects are all in and around the uh, Messier eight M twenty M twenty one complex mm. yeah yeah 66 24 and 67 23 are a couple more globulars on this list mm -hmm. and then the one that really intrigues me is this little gem nebula uh 68 18 it's a okay. planetary that's uh magnitude 9.3 i i'm quite fond of planetary nebulas so whenever i see one of those i i definitely try to look at it yeah that's so anyway, that's on my thing. immediate yeah. list. Hopefully this weekend I'll be able to see this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, hopefully I will uh, whenever I get down there as well. So um, yeah, and I think Mike, he's going to, he said he might try to try to come down for, for some nights too. So, um, but he's, he's going to go somewhere else first. So whether or not he ends up down there or not is, is a little bit variable, you know, it might happen, might not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, I'm pretty excited to to get down to some some dark skies. I was pretty happy just to get out from from uh, behind my my house for a change. Uh, so yeah, it looks like tonight will probably be a bust with the with the overcast clouds and uh, all that kind of stuff. So you know, uh, one thing we might want to talk about briefly is like tents and sleeping bags because uh, I know we talked quite a bit about the the air mattress, but 
you know, I always wanted to do something more on, on camping gear. And I just didn't know if, if maybe we had the time now to do this, Shane, or should we do it at a future episode? Um, I think we got a little bit of time. Let's, yeah. let's go for it. So what are you using for a sleeping bag and tent? Uh, so the tent that I'm using, and I've gone through a few different tents to get to the one. Um, so maybe I'll talk about my trials and tribulations. Uh, the, the issue that I had with some other tents is I would wake up in the morning and <laughs> the, the fly or the, you know, the kind of the cover for the tent would be lined with condensation for my mm-hmm. breath, you know, just exhaling all night. And then, you know, I, I hit the zipper to unzip the tent to get out in the morning and it basically rains on me, you know, as yeah. all this condensation falls and it would just drives me insane. Mm-hmm. So what I ended up settling on was, uh, or is an MSR Elixir 2, or is it Elixir 3? I can't remember. Um, it's a, uh, an MSR, so Mountain Safety Research tent. But what I love about it is the ventilation. It has these little panels on the head and the footer of the fly that you can open if you want. And it just allows for enough air to pass through to, I've never had any condensation in there, even on humid nights. And, and uh, you don't notice the air cooling you off at all. And the other thing that I really like about it, it's like a rectangular tent. Uh, and in a lot of tents, especially like rectangular ones, the headspace can get a little narrow. Um, but the way they've designed this tent, there's a cross bar that goes you know, kind of left to right, I suppose. Uh, or width-wise rather than lengthwise, um, right in the middle of the tent at the top, that makes it rectangular, not just from the foot, but like basically all the way to the roof. So you have outstanding head and shoulder space within this tent. Mm-hmm. Um, now you can't stand up in, in this tent. It's not that tall, but you know, if you're sitting and you're changing shirts or just reading a book and sitting, it's, it's very comfortable and there's a lot of space. Uh, I love this tent. Um, I'm very content with it and have no plans to replace it or upgrade it. What are, what are you using? Cause yours is definitely different. Yeah, I have a really, uh, different tent. Actually, I'm just trying to, to look up to see if, uh, see if I can actually find the, the exact name of it. So, um, I'm using what's called a big sky. Uh, I think mine's the Chinook 2P and now it's, 2P does not stand for two person with this tent. As, as you know, this thing is, is pretty small, even for one person. It basically fits our, our large uh, X-PED mats. And I got maybe six inches on one side um, for half the length of the tent. And that's it. Um, so this is a tent that's actually, you know, maybe I should describe the challenge I was facing. And that's that I think I, I've been doing a little bit more camping in the grasslands than you have over the years. I think that's probably fair to say. Yeah, you've logged a few more nights for sure. Yeah, and the thing that I was finding is, well, you know, if, if I go, I'm going to go, even if the weather looks really bad. And so I was having some struggles just with how bad the weather can be down there. I've been in, in uh, windstorms at, at over 100 kilometers an hour and, and had my tent like blowing flat and been in some hailstorms that were pretty bad. and. Uh, had had actually gone through a couple tents, one from wind and one from hail. And uh, so I, I really looked around. I looked at getting a, a fairly high-end tent for my, I guess, third or fourth tent now since uh, we started doing this about eight or nine years ago. And, uh, you know, if, if I'm going through uh, a several hundred dollar tent every two or three years, I thought, well, why not spend twice that amount and hopefully get a tent that will last me um, a little bit longer, but then also perform uh, much better when I'm in those adverse conditions. So I, I originally looked at the Hilleberg tents, uh, and I almost bought one of those, but they, they seemed a little bit, um, well, they are really expensive, and uh, that's a little bit uh, costly. Uh, and I'm always looking for, you know, to save a few dollars where I can, you know, people might get that sense from me, just the, the way I like to do things. And, uh, and I read a lot of reviews online, good and bad of the Hilberg, and generally they are very good, uh, but the cost is a lot. And then there was a few reviews of, of these big sky uh, tents. And in general, people say, well, they're really close to the Hillebergs and they're super fast to put up and very easy to put up for the most part. And I, that really attracted me because I'm not like 
someone who's been camping my whole life. I basically camped to do astronomy and then I probably camped, uh, you know, half a dozen times outside of, of doing astronomy, but I do a lot of camping for astronomy, but I'm not looking to kind of go and, and go through and set up a tent. It's like part of what I'm doing for the weekend. It's just, that's just what I'm doing. So I have a place to stay when I'm done doing astronomy. And these tents are, uh, there is, I forget what it's called, but it's this material, it's a silicon nylon and it almost is like a, like a rubber. And uh, it's a three pole design and the tent is good for around 120 kilometer an hour winds. And I think you've seen that tent in close to 80 or 90 kilometer an hour winds and it doesn't budge. Yeah. Um, yeah. There was one day when we were in grasslands and it was blowing 50 to 60 kilometers per hour uh, with gusts of, you know, probably 70 to 90. Yeah. And uh, I just sat, you know, near our camp watching our tents and um, I was just like, your tent was sort of getting, it wasn't bowed in, but you could see where the wind was really hitting it. Yeah. And I was expecting at some point it would collapse, but it just, it, it deflected the wind and it was no big deal for your tent. Yeah. And I've slept in the tent in 80 kilometer hour winds before. And uh, it starts to get a bit, a bit ruckus in there, at, but I was able to sleep. It would wake me up once in a while when it was gusting up to 90, but that you can actually sleep in a tent at 80, I think is, is a pretty good, uh, you know, a, a pretty good recommendation. Um, they make a variety of tents. Some of them are just two pole or whatever the three pole, um, really is what locks it in and, and makes it, it actually looks almost like a suction cup. But um, what's different about this tent and what makes it so strong is it actually has, I think as, as you'll recall, I think it looks pretty cool. Some people might not like the look. It's a two skin tent, but it's got an exoskeleton. So your poles are on the outside of the tent. Um, and then there's there's your fly that that that, that straps into. And then below that is is the tent body itself. And I went with uh, sort of the exact opposite of you. I've, for whatever reason, I don't, I guess I must not expel as much moisture at night. Um, and so I seldom have had a problem with moisture in, in any tent, even really, only in really, really cheap tents have I had any, any kind of moisture problem. Um, typically for me, it's the cold and I don't like to get dust in because, you know, I'll, that will bother my lungs because I'm sensitive there. So um, with this tent, it only has a couple small vents in the top that you have to leave open because it can get so warm in there um, just from your body heat, even even uh, close to zero degrees um, that you do want to leave those those vents open. But it's it's extremely comfortable in there. And uh, with two walls between you and the outside environment, you feel like much more secure against any weather that's that is going to roll in and i've certainly weathered a few a few storms in it now it is separating on on one of the seams for the where the seam meets the uh the zipper in one spot so i'm not sure how many more years i'll get out of it but um i've been really happy with it and i think i can just buy like one of the neat things about these these custom setups is that i think you can just buy the parts so i can just buy the like if it's the shell that, that tears, I can just buy the shell. I don't have to buy like the poles and the body and the stakes and all that kind of stuff all over again. I can just spend maybe a hundred or a couple hundred bucks max and, and just replace whatever part comes, uh, you know, apart from, from where. And, you know, I, I think because I set up in the same spots every time and I'm always facing one side into that wind, like you were saying, I think that it's just getting a lot of wear in that one spot. So anyway, but it seems to be holding fine still. It just looks a little thin in, in one area. And then for, um, well, do you want to talk about sleeping bags next? Yeah, sure. So go ahead. When you, you, got a, you got a couple, you got a really big, heavy sleeping bag. Yeah, I, I started with like the mummy style bag, but because I'm a side sleeper, they're, they're really inconvenient. Um, and the other thing that I started doing was rather than sleeping in a zip up sleeping bag. Um, I only do that on the coldest of nights now. What I like to do is just unzip the entire sleeping bag and use it like a comforter like I would at home. Yeah. And I just feel like that is the ultimate because it's like you're at home. You have all the freedom in the world. Yeah. So what I ended up buying is a Cabela's Mountain Trapper sleeping bag. It's rated to minus 18 degrees Celsius or zero degrees Fahrenheit. Um, so it's extremely warm. Um, but I feel, or I find I'm able to regulate my, my temperature quite well throughout the night. 
Um, and I love it. And the best thing about Cabela's branded stuff is it's usually made quite well, but it's very affordable. Um, yeah. you know, like this thing is on sale right now for $135 Canadian. And I'm not sure if I would ever look for anything else. It's uh, it's a really nice bag. So the bag that I use for camping, and again, like it might seem odd that we're talking so much about camping gear, but this is really critical for having good observing experiences. And, um, I think we're almost down to like, really, although this stuff may seem a bit on the expensive side, like if you are doing it, like, like we are where we're doing it pretty much every new moon from maybe even as early as, as April into trying to do October, maybe we'll, we'll get there eventually. Um, you know, so we're out often, you know, more than a dozen, maybe dozens of nights a year. I've certainly logged, uh, three or four dozen nights, uh, one summer, uh, when I was off and, uh, you know, so we're getting lots of use out of this and, um, you know, as well, if you think about what you'd spend on any sort of hotel, even the absolute cheapest hotel, um, we would have spent multiples of, of what we've spent on, uh, on our camping gear thus far. So, uh, what I use for a bag is actually not a sleeping bag at all whatsoever. I use what's called a, a camping quilt. And this is, uh, a somewhat recent development in the in the high end camping uh, world. So I was using just the standard, uh, and there's nothing wrong with them. The, the standard North Face uh, mummy style bag, and there was a few things I I didn't care for with it. Um, one is I found like I could never quite get my pillow and the bag to work really well together. It was always really futzy trying to get in and and get everything squared away. Um, and so it's really late. You're cold. You just want to get into the bag and start warming up. And I'd spend maybe five or six minutes trying to sort myself out while I'm, you know, trying to go to sleep. I, I didn't care for that at all. And it wouldn't matter whether it was North Face or somebody else's bag, same thing. And uh, again, I was sleeping on the air mattress and those mummy bags on an air mattress is a bad combination. And uh, I also didn't like the constriction that, that you feel. Um, you know, I just wanted to be able to, to stretch out a little bit more. Like we're not hardcore camping, eh? So it's not like we're going out and uh, hiking all day. So we need to pack things down really small. So we just don't need that weight savings. We're just unloading from a car and, and going a max of maybe 15 or 20 feet uh, to set up our camps and typically not even that far. Um, so, so the gear that we're getting isn't necessarily required to be ultralight, uh, but I actually end up getting an ultralight uh, quilt bag that only weighs, I think it weighs like eight or nine ounces. And it's pretty incredible uh, what this bag does. I actually have it sitting right next to me here. I, I used it a lot, even outside of camping. I was really sick with the flu a couple of years ago and, and uh, had those terrible chills. And it, it definitely was very helpful to get me through that. Um, but this bag didn't cost any more than like a high-end bag from North Face or Marmot or anybody else uh, provides. In fact, I think it was a little bit less expensive. It's a custom bag. So I wanted it to be um, long. And I, I'll use bag interchangeably. So the way this works is it's, it's basically like a quilt, but then they sew the bottom up. You can actually choose not to have the bottom sewn up, but I did because my feet tend to get a bit cold. And I just like to be able to get under it and then put my feet into that. It kind of keeps it anchored around me. Um, and then there's different straps you can you can use to sort of uh, affix it to to your camping mattress. Although I haven't really really done that as much, um, but it just makes for for a great experience. It's more like just a regular blanket than like a sleeping bag. It's basically like um, like a foot box, I think they call it. And then the rest is just like a like a nice quilt that you can kind of wrap around yourself. And Unlike a regular sleeping bag, Shane, I don't know if you ever noticed this, but if your bag says minus seven, what temperature is it typically good to? I don't know, plus 20? <laughs> yeah, like maybe plus seven if you're lucky. Yeah. And so it's always been a challenge to, to line up um, the actual temperature rating of the bag to the actual temperature rating outside. Um, this company, they were adamant when I ordered from them that they were very accurate in their temperature. So I told them my exact conditions that often I would go down to, um, well, typically in grasslands at night, like you said, 10 degrees to zero degrees a lot of the time. And then the odd time we're down to as much as minus five. 
So I told them this, I told them exactly how I like to sleep and they made it exactly for me, for the conditions that I'm observing in, for what I'm doing and how I like to sleep. And I've never slept better. In fact, arguably I would say between the X-Ped mat and this bag, and this bag is by Bandit, I would say that um, I sleep better in this setup than I do in my bed at home which I actually don't care for my bed at home anyway. Um, I would rather sleep on the, on the X-Ped mat and under the sleeping bag um, than in the majority of beds that I've ever slept in in my life. It is, it is the most comfortable um, setup that I've ever slept in um, regardless. So uh, it's very warm. I've really, I, I was somebody who was suffering uh, not from discomfort like you were, but I was getting too cold and thinking that I was going to have to end these kind of sessions on, on any night that was forecast to be uh, below plus 10. Um, just because we're out at night, we get cold. For me, for whatever reason, my temperature just continues to drop and I can never seem to get it back again. And, uh, you know, if I went to bed at sunset like a normal person, it's fine. Like I've done that on nights where it's been cloudy and that's no problem. But whereas we're staying up, you know, until the wee hours when it's really cold and by that point I'm frozen anyway. I was just like really struggling. So between the the Chinook, uh, Big Sky Chinook tent, which is double walled and just has small vents in the top, not really good if you're going to be out in any place that's going to be warmer than about 10 degrees at night. It's definitely too warm in those conditions. I, I've done that and I just sleep without any blankets in those cases. Um, but between that tent, the X-Ped mat, and then the, the banded bag, um, boy, I'll tell you, it is extremely, extremely comfortable. And the observing is, is a lot better. It just, it used to feel like, you know, you were just running yourself down, or at least that's how it felt to me. I was running myself down. I was getting too cold and kind of coming home tired and miserable at the end of a weekend. Although I'd have fun observing after a couple nights, three nights max, um, you know, I was really just done and just not having fun anymore. But with this setup, you know, I'm, I'm pretty good for, uh, for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I think through this discussion, uh, one way to sum it up is comfort is king when you're doing some of these trips, uh, and it should not be ignored because, uh, the astronomy and staying up late and camping in general really put a lot of stresses on just your energy and mental state. So if you can take care of some of these other things to provide some comfort, it really goes a long way to, to enjoying the whole weekend. Yeah. Well, I think that, that what you just said there is a really great summary. So I didn't know if you have anything else to add, Shane. That is all, my friend. Okay. Well, how can people stay in touch with us? They can reach us on Twitter. We are at Actual Astronomy, or you can reach out over email. We are actualastronomy at gmail.com. All right. Well, thanks so much for joining me today. Yeah. Thanks, Chris. And thanks everybody for listening.